Hey Flingers, it's showtime. Just wanted to thank you for listening to today's episode of Future of the Fairway, which is brought to you by the American Classic Golf Club, the home of the first World League Fling Golf Tournament. The American Classic is a nine-hole family-owned golf course located in the Lewis Rehoboth Beach areas of Southern Delaware. So if you're ever on vacation or ever in the area for whatever reason, we would love for you to swing on by and give our track a try. And hey, you never know who you might run into. But anyways, we hope to see you around. And don't forget, you got to aim high to let it fly. see something new and, and uh, it was it didn't disappoint it was a lot of fun and um, that was my first labor of love for you guys she's like i didn't know it rained last night i'm like that's not rain they, they basically <laughs> wash the streets down every night She's like, shut up. I'm like, no, I'm not like, watch. Like every every morning, if you go out at 9 a.m., it'll be like basically like it'll look like it rained because they will just go out at like 3, 4 a.m. and wash everything down. Rob wasn't even ready for it so that it was like. But I was did. like two, 250 yards down, you know, downfield. <laughs> And all of a sudden, a golf ball bounces by me. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not even rolling. What happened? (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Future of the Fairway podcast. I am your host, the Podfather, Adam Copeland. And I am thrilled to welcome you to the 2023 season of Future of the Fairway. Uh, it, is, it was a great, uh, great first season, uh, getting out 18 episodes uh, in the last half of 2022. Uh, talked to some amazing people, and I am really excited about the folks lined up for uh, this upcoming season. We've got a great special guest to kick off uh, today, uh, Rob Parker, who is an independent videographer uh, and editor and all-around amazing guy uh, joins me uh, for a great conversation, uh, particularly of interest, uh, all of his background with the NFL. And with this being Super Bowl week, uh, this seems like a really good time to uh, to share this episode. Uh, we were joined by John Prillage, uh, who uh, w- worked really close with Rob uh, because he's got a great connection to Fling Golf, uh, which is he was uh, responsible for the filming and editing of our episode that aired on ESPN, ESPN in August of 22. Uh, John worked really closely with editing um, of that, so uh, it was great to have both of them on uh, to talk through that process as well as to hear about Rob's background uh, and all the different work he's done. Uh, some great stories, some really cool Super Bowl insights, um, just in general, not necessarily uh, for uh, Super Bowl uh, that's coming up between the Eagles and uh, the Chiefs, but uh, we do have a lot of really cool conversations. Uh, before we get to that uh, to that conversation, uh, a reminder that the San Diego Open is right around the corner. Um, it will be played February twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Is that right? No, 
no, 25th and 26th, my bad. Uh, but there are some really cool things happening on the 24th, including uh, Play With a Pro uh, on that Friday. We've got the individual tournament on Saturday and uh, the team tournament on Sunday, uh, right at the tail end of February. So if you haven't signed up, please do. If you have signed up and are raring to go, I can't wait to see you there. Uh, so be sure that uh, you'll be there or be following along to find out uh, how that goes. Uh, really exciting for the World League Fling Off a season to kick off in San Diego in just a few weeks. Um, we've got a really, <laughs> we've got some really cool things lined up for the season. Um, I'm hoping to do uh, even more episodes than we did last year. Uh, your feedback and your support has been uh, incredible. Uh, the encouragement provided by this community uh, is unmatched, I think. And um, so really cool things uh, to look forward to. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And with that, uh, let's hear from Rob and John. I am excited to welcome John Prulich and Rob Parker to the Future of the Fairway podcast. Um, John is a returning guest. Uh, good to have you back, John. Absolutely. Great to be here, Podfather. Excited about this one. Yes, and I want to have you to thank for bringing on our guest, our special guest today, Rob Parker. Rob, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, Rob, you've got uh, some some, a really cool connection to, uh, to fling off and some new swarm. Um, as John tells me, you were uh, instrumental in helping edit, uh, maybe record, edit, and put together, uh, the episode that aired on ESPN last year. Yeah, I would say, um, I kind of, you know, took the lead from John, uh, the amount of work that he did on this thing, uh, to put this together was just really remarkable and I don't often work with clients who are that organized and, and that sort of tenacious in their own practices and in in what they do um, a lot of them leave everything to me which uh, <laughs> which is fun sometimes but it can be a lot of work too um, and it can be very stressful and uh, John John really made my life easier so I, I do need to say that up front but yeah we we teamed up on shooting and editing and and delivering what I think is a really fun product to ESPN. And, and um, I was really, really happy with how it turned out. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, Rob. And, and, and thank you for the, uh, the, the, the kind words. And it was, I, you know, as I've told you before, it was a, from my end, it was a complete labor of love. And I definitely didn't want to get in the way because you're, you know, complete, uh, complete professional, but uh, was just, was happy to, to, you know, help out happy to you know help drive the vision and i think you know sort of soup to nuts and we'll we'll walk through it uh i just feel like it was one of those times where i feel like eventually we got that sort of clear vision of what we wanted to do and then it actually you know with a few kinks along the way it actually sort of turned out the way we envisioned it which which you know i probably i don't have a lot of experience but i'm guessing that a lot of the times that's that's not the case um, so that, uh, that was really sort of satisfying from, from my end. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing where, uh, when you mentioned labor of love, um, you know, when I, when I get to shoot and, and plan the shooting and involve other people and build something, um, it just really ramps up my, my affection for the project than when I'm in the editing process. So, you know, sometimes you get things from clients, especially like during COVID, 
I do a lot of video editing and I was getting stuff from people who couldn't meet, but they had, you know, Zoom uh, video and iPhone video and whatever. Mm -hmm. And we want to do a banquet, but it's got to be virtual. So we're going to have our, (laughs) our director shoot themselves on an iPhone and send it to you to edit. And so, you know, when you can actually take part in the entire process, um, there's, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing something through from start to finish. Well, let's get into that part, or, or maybe we'll get a, a step back. But I'm curious, how did the two of you get connected uh, originally? It was actually, and this is this is interesting. So um, we did a, and really, re, we Al uh, was driving this. He was going down to American Classic um, to do a shoot with Austin and Britt and the gang down there. Um, this is back in, I think it was 2019, if I'm correct, Rob. Um, and so he was, uh, you know, looking for someone in the sort of Philly area, just some local, um, sort of videographer. And, um, I, I can't even remember how, and I should have asked, uh, Al, maybe you remember Rob, how we got, Al got connected with you, but, um, uh, I just remember, um, Al coming back from that shoot and he's like, yeah, we got some really good footage and, He's like, he's like, yeah, Rob. I was like, how's the videographer? He's like, he's like, well, I don't, don't know if you call him a videographer. Like, like Rob is fantastic, and like his he works for NFL Films, and he films. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Are you are you, <laughs> like, are you are you kidding me? We had someone doing a fling golf, you know, promo video that shoots for NFL Films. Which, by the way, and like I I will won't dominate the conversation on this, but I am like a complete. NFL films junkie slash nerd. And I just, I cannot be, you know, you know, more complimentary about the work that you guys do and have done for, you know, that's why I'd, and I'd love to go into that, your background there, Rob, because that what NFL films has done for the last, you know, 60 plus years is amazing. And they really, you know, you know, it's been said by, you know, people, you know, more in the know than me, but I would 100% agree that what they did really drove the popularity of football um, in the 70s and in the 80s that made it sort of the game that it is today. And that, that just, just can't be understated. And, and, you know, take it, and Rob can go to the details on this, but for people that don't know, like the NFL films is, it's separate from, like you see, you get the broadcast, which is what you're watching on, on Sundays. But then at the same time, it's being filmed by, you know, uh, you know, a team of, of cameramen that are really they're taking film footage. And I know I think it was originally like um, for years, it was like 16 millimeter film, but it was meant to be, you know, essentially not to be broadcast in real time, but to create films out of it. And I think uh, like I think you have like someone that like, always films in slow motion and these close-ups and it was the first people they were the first people to ever like mic up players and they're the ones that are getting all of the the sound action from the sidelines and like it really is what sort of drives the interesting footage you get from the game because the filming was taken as you know sort of putting together films as opposed to just recording what's going on in real time um and i will uh i'll turn it over to you rob because you can (laughs) talk a lot more about uh, about that but needless to say like our introduction to rob was oh my gosh he's doing a promo for us for fling golf film american classic but 
you know, in terms of like his experience filming things and putting things together. By the way, like the segment he did for us down in American Classic was back then was, mm-hmm. was phenomenal. And he like turned it around and like, it was like, I think it was like a week or something like that. It was crazy. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how Alex and I got connected originally. Um, but I know that, um, you know, once I kind of heard what this was and, and, um, and heard his description of like what he wanted to capture, I was really, I was all in because, um, I was really excited to, to, to try this and, and see something new. And, and, uh, it was, it didn't disappoint. It was a lot of fun. And, um, that was my first labor of love for you guys <clears throat> was that, was that little nugget that we shot that day at American classic. Um, and they, they couldn't have been nicer to us. The staff there, um, Austin was great and Brit and, you know, everybody there just really opened their, opened the doors and said, whatever you guys need. And, um, that's, that's the best thing you can ask for as uh, somebody who's producing content is to, is to have just great cooperation like that and have people happy to see you. Cause, um, you know, I worked in TV news for the first 14 years or so of my career and, mm-hmm. um, you know, people are not always happy to see you when, <laughs> when you show up, <laughs> when you show up in a microwave truck, uh, doing a live shot or whatever for TV news, um, but that background, um, you know, you mentioned the NFL film stuff, and, and that's that's sort of the marquee kind of, you know, splash name or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never been on staff there, um, so I'm not really, you know, I'm not a, a technically, you know, a full-time employee of theirs, um, never have been. But I, I do sort of, um, I do sort of uh, get the benefits of, you know, people who have heard of it and are impressed by it. Uh, so that's... Um, it's good marketing for me, actually. Um, but I, I just need to say that I've never been on staff there. And, and uh, I wouldn't speak for them, but um, I, can t- I can speak for myself about how inspiring that has been mm-hmm. uh, to, to get to know some people like Steve Sable and, and, and some of the impressive um, staff that work there and, and freelancers really around the country uh, and now around the world, um, starting to bump into other people who are being hired in London and Germany and places like that who are... Wow who are, um, you know, preparing to, uh, for the next wave of growth of the NFL. Um, but you know, there's so many people behind the scenes and that's that way with every project you work on. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you have, you know, uh, someone who, who gathers and wrangles all the media and the data. Uh, and sometimes you're that person as a, as a cinematographer. Uh, sometimes you have a sound person. Sometimes you're the person who's doing sound and shooting and, you know, managing media and flying a drone or whatever. Um, so all these jobs are different. Uh, generally speaking, the bigger, you know, the bigger corporate jobs have more people, but um, it really takes a whole team of people that you don't always see, you know, in the background doing things and managing things and color correcting and grading and sweetening audio and recording audio and all that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty fun process to be a part of. And, um, this is my 27th season working as a freelancer for NFL films. That's so crazy. it's bizarre that it seems like we're closing in on like half of half of their existence. I've kind of mm-hmm. been either rubbing elbows with the guys from films or working with them. So it's pretty cool. That's cool. So uh, how, let's go back to the start. Uh, where did you grow up and how did you grow up? I was born out near Pittsburgh and, and grew up in central Pennsylvania. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a state trooper in, in the city of Pittsburgh when I was born. And um, then we moved east a little bit and bounced around a little in central Pennsylvania. And I grew up in Sealands Grove, which is about 50 miles north of Harrisburg, PA. Mm-hmm. And um, man, talk about not seeing the world or not, not knowing what was going on out there. I mean, you're basically in, you know, the middle of the, this humongous state in the woods, you know, and right. uh, really isolated and kind of, I guess it's hard to put it in perspective because now we have the internet and we have phones that, you know, you can go anywhere you want to be. Um, but when you consider, you know, somebody growing up in the seventies who, uh, you know, didn't have internet, had three TV channels, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just, the, uh, what you didn't know, you didn't know, or you didn't know what you didn't know. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. it was, it, the world was humongous and the world's so much smaller now that, um, some of the magic is lost, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, I grew up in central PA. The Steelers were huge when I was, you know, a teenager, they were winning mm-hmm. all their Super Bowls mm-hmm. in the seventies and, and, uh, so I became a big Steelers fan. Okay. And was football yeah. your first love? It was. From a sports um, perspective. Baseball too. I mean. Yeah. The Pirates were, uh, weren't too bad either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, for some reason I became a Phillies fan and I'm not sure why, <laughs> um, I mean, we were in the center of the state, right? right and it yeah. could be as something as simple as the Phillies were really fantastic in the late seventies when I was very impressionable. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, with all the uh, the amazing cast of characters they had, you know, Greg Luzinski and Pete Rose and Steve Carlton and all these guys who were, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of glued to the those that channel. We would get, um, you know, on a good day, we could with our antenna, we, which we had a little. <laughs> thing that you would a knob you would turn and it would actually physically rotate the antenna on the roof of the house okay to pick up different channels and on a, on, a, on a nice day with the wind was blowing in the right direction we could get like you know chicago i'm not sure which station it was in chicago where the cubs would be on um, in the afternoons because they played all day games having no lights, no lights at right. wrigley for for my youth so um which doesn't even seem real now. <laughs> yeah, no, anybody young like listening to this is going to be like, "What? Like, <laughs> yeah, no night games? No, no, no night games? Talking about what does three channels mean? Right. Uh, my my right. kids are right now watching. They're out of school today, and they're uh, watching a movie on Disney Plus. And you know, for the most part, with streaming, they barely know what a what real channels are. Right. <laughs> I get I get caught up too in the morning, and I'm trying to get in. Getting get into the habit of not you know planting myself on the phone with a coffee in the morning, mm-hmm. but sometimes you know you can kill an hour or two and not even realize that the sun is up. Oh, and yeah. it's a beautiful right. day outside. So, <laughs> so it's Central PA, um, what uh, what prompted you to want to get into? Um, I guess uh, recording, being being part of TV, being part of um, you, you said you, you were in local news for a while. Uh, yeah, in your career. Well, when I went to college, I went to Kutztown. I was an art major. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do, and my parents didn't know what I was going to do. And I'm sure they were kind of like, oh, let's just get this guy into a school somewhere. <laughs> um, and I went to Kutztown. Uh, my, one of my best friends in high school went to Kutztown, and we were college roommates. And I was in the uh, communication design, they called it, which was a program to, um, you know, for print layout, really, and photography and stuff okay. like that. So, um you know, I just was sort of artistically inclined, I guess, in my own head and was like, I like this stuff. So let's see where this takes me. And, um, 
during my first year, my, my uh, roommate was in the television program at Kutztown. They had a really good um, uh, TV commu- uh, communications uh, mm-hmm. curriculum there. And he was in that and asked me to help him with one of his video productions. And I helped him in the studio one day. And I was just like, this is fantastic. This is exactly where I want to be. So I changed majors, cost myself, uh, you know, almost a year, but Mm -hmm. um, dove into that and never looked back. I mean, Kutztown had an amazing program. We were doing live sporting events. We were doing, you know, all the college football games with three cameras and a truck. Wow. Uh, All the students were, were doing that. We had a magazine show called Camera One, where you would go out and do features on anything you wanted really people in the community or mm-hmm. stuff that was going on on campus and you would edit together um you know these pieces for this camera one show they had a nightly newscast on campus mm-hmm. and you know this was this was back when you didn't have easy access to this equipment right and the right. school had a huge commitment to like make sure that their program was cutting edge and we, you know, we had radio equipment, we had a radio station, we had um, fantastic, you know, professional broadcast gear that we worked with for, for acquiring video, Mm -hmm. which was so beneficial. And then the biggest thing that they did, which I I don't see a whole lot of is uh, they required you to be at an internship, like full time, like it was a full time job and you got full credits that wow. would allow you to graduate and everything. It wasn't like you got almost no credit and showed up one day a week and answered phones. You were expected mm-hmm. to dive in and be a full-time employee at oh. uh, you know a place that would accept you for an internship. So I went to WNEP in Scranton, which was like the number one ABC station, one of the highest rated stations in the country. And I, it's what I grew up watching as a kid, you know, their, okay. their news. So I, I walk in there day one and I see people who I watched on TV for, you know, a decade or more. And here I'm sitting in a room with all these people. And I was like, (laughs) wow, how cool is this? And, um, and, you know, as most people who, who find any bit of success, um, they have people who mentor them and and who Mm -hmm. show them the way. And, and I had a guy named Dave Bertram, his nickname was bingo because he always got the shot. People were like, bingo, you got it. (laughs) Um, so Dave Bingo Bertram basically took me under his wing when I was an intern and, and, you know, let me, he took me out the first day I was there and let me shoot a little college basketball. Cause he was, uh, we were, we were shooting Kings college in Scranton, um, just for highlights for the news. Mm-hmm. And, um, he let me shoot a little bit. This kid had a slam dunk and I was shooting and he's like, well, if it looks good, we'll use it tonight. And in those days, you would, you know, race back to the station, cut together three or four highlights, scribble down the names of guys on a sheet of paper and hand it to the sports anchor on the set. That's how late you were getting in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We would go in the studio and like slip them a piece of paper off camera. I mean, were, I mean, were you, was it video cassette? Yeah. So that was three quarter inch U-matic uh, <laughs> wow. tape. And you would come back and edit tape to tape. Okay. And Bingo would put me in an edit booth and be like, I need four highlights. I need, remember the kid in the second quarter did this. I need that. I need that. I need that. And I'd be like, dude, I can't do it. It's too, it's, it's too, it's too much pressure. And be like, do it. You can do it. Do it. And he like pushed me and I did it. And um, I just, I can't, I can't say enough about this guy. Uh, and it inspired me to try and 
always be helpful to other people when they need my help or when they ask for it or when I think there's a situation where mm-hmm. I can mentor somebody. Um, it's just, it, it, it was such an, it left such an impression that I hope I can sort of pay that forward. So mm-hmm. I try to do that whenever possible. But that, that set me up um, basically to, to move to a better station uh, or a bigger mm-hmm. station in a bigger market. And that was um, WTXF in Philadelphia. Okay. Which was the Fox station. So I moved there. Uh, in 1991 and worked there for nine years, basically through the whole, all through the nineties, I was, mm-hmm. I was at that station. And, and what uh, were you doing? I was shooting and editing news. And what was interesting was that when I got there, no one really wanted to shoot sports. Um, huh. So, which I found shocking. So I get there in 1991 and they said, do you, do you want to go to spring training by any chance? I was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll do it. Twist my so arm. I went to, to cover the, cover, cover the Phillies, right? Right. Yeah. So okay. I went to spring training three times that first spring. Oh, wow. um, and this is an interesting little note too, a little nugget that people, it doesn't even seem real, but the uh, operations manager would buy plane tickets and just have them, you know in his office under his name. And then he would just hand you the plane ticket with his name on it, you know, and you'd go to the airport with no security, no, no ID and just walk onto the plane and hand, hand this ticket that had somebody else's name on it. Uh Um, Which again, doesn't seem, doesn't seem like it could have happened. And then people were smoking as you walked onto the plane and found your seat, you know? Um, But yeah, nobody wanted to to shoot sports there, which I found shocking. And so, so you said the Fox station. If you don't mind me asking, so yeah, Fox as a a network had only been around since the early '80s. Is that right? Right. Yep. Okay. They were well. They were around a little later than that. It was like mid '80s. I believe they started. Yeah. Yeah. In 1991, the station in Philadelphia went to an hour of news. Uh, They called it, you know, at ten the ten o'clock news was an Mm -hmm. hour of news, an hour ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was their that was their campaign when they started it, and I was one of the uh, shooters and editors who was hired when they expanded to an hour. Okay. Um, and you know our newscast was fantastic. I mean, we were we were revered like in the market. Like our station was the station that had like the best shooters, the best shooting, the mm-hmm. most interesting and in depth stories. We we could go out on a day and shoot a five minute long piece on something. And it was interesting and fun. And we got to edit our own pieces. A lot of the other stations had guys out shooting, you know, every crash, every body bag, handing off tapes and just Mm -hmm. going out and shooting, shooting, shooting. And it looked that way. It looked terrible. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't want to put down the people there because those people did what they were supposed to do and they were good at it. Um, but if you wanted something that was like a little more thoughtful and, and better produced, you, you worked at Fox 29 in Philadelphia. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's really so, not like that anymore. <laughs> sort of crazy how they, like when Fox got into the business, they, you know, sort of made that conscious decision that like, we're going to, we're going to give up an hour of prime time and have our, like our third hour of prime time, just be local news. So we're going to get an out, you know, we're going to do it for an hour. We're going to get a jump on everybody else. And mm-hmm. I think it's pretty much true of, of all those early sort of Fox stations that their, their news became better than anybody else's because they had twice as much content and they, you know, they got the jump on everybody. You wanted to watch local news. You were watching it at, at you know, on the East coast at 10 o'clock. 
as opposed to waiting to 11 to have everything jammed into a half an hour. Yep. Yeah. And I remember when I first, um, like I said, when I first got there, uh, the news director, Roger LeMay, who's now at WXPN in Philadelphia, he's the general manager of that radio station and loves it. And, uh, he was so good to me and, you know, just, uh, had such a commitment to shooting sports that, um, he wanted to do everything. He wanted to do every sport. He, he wanted to follow the Eagles home and away. We went, mm -hmm. we, the commitment was we go to every Eagles game home and away. And we do, we go Thursday to San Francisco and we shoot, you know, 49ers practice on Friday and we get interviews with people there and we go around town and get beauty shots and find interesting stories and we feed it back and do a live shot Saturday night for the news and then shoot the game Sunday and mm -hmm. edit you know, a piece for the news and do a live shot for the news and come home Monday. So it was like during football season, I was like four or five days a week committed to, you know, whoever the Eagles were playing, which was mm -hmm. just, just fantastic. And that's when I started rubbing and rubbing elbows with some of the guys from NFL films. I remember, uh, cause I, like you, John, I, uh, I was kind of a disciple of that stuff. It was on, yep. you know, one of the three channels that I would see and <laughs> halftime right. on Monday night football with Howard Cosell and yep. stuff like that. So, and, you know, when you would see these pieces, I, you know, I memorized just seeing them over and over again, all the names of people who were, who were in the credits and, um, and then to, to suddenly see these people in real life, it was like, wow. And, um, you know, it was always kind of a, a cool thing to, to think about to, to work with that group of people, but I never, I never really took it seriously until 1994 when, um, when Fox was awarded the, f the first NFL package that they got. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Roger at our, our, gen our uh, news director said, we're going to start an hour long pregame show. Do you want to just move to that and get out of news and just work on that all the time? And I was like, yes, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so the first uh, talent that he hired was Ron Jaworski. And oh, at the time, wow. Jaws, you know, Jaws was, yeah. you know, really green, hadn't done a lot of TV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to work closely with Jaws uh, on that, in that first year in 94 on the Eagles coverage. And he and I would, you know, travel and I would shoot our pregame show. And then I would shoot the Eagles game after the pregame show. Now the pregame show was like 11 to noon. Mm -hmm. And then I would go, you know, switch out my camera and get my stuff ready and shoot the game and um, did a lot of feature stuff with Jaws in the, uh, you know, during the week. And, and so we got to know each other and he was like, hey, man, you should, uh, you know, he had an office over at NFL Films where he could watch film and everything. He was like, you should, you should be shooting for NFL Films. And I was like, come on, dude. <laughs> I mean, get out of here. He's like, no, I'm serious. So he's like, I'm going to talk to Steve Sable. <laughs> And I was just like, come on, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, I've since heard this kind of a story from, you know, dozens of people that Jaws mm. has done this for them or helped them or mm. helped advance them as people or, or in their careers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, huge props to him. What a good dude. Um, yeah. So the next week he comes back and he has a slip of paper with a phone number on it. He's like, call this guy. He's expecting to hear from you. He's the director of cinematography at NFL films and uh, Steve Sable gave me his phone number to give to you. I was like, Oh dude. <laughs> yeah. So here I am a guy working in news and I see these dudes running around with 16 millimeter film cameras and I've never shot 16 millimeter film in my life. Didn't really know anything other than, mm -hmm. you know, that's cool. Uh, 
because at the time, you know, nobody else was really doing that. It was, yep. it was the only way to shoot, you know, that classic sort of slow motion look. There, mm-hmm. there weren't portable video cameras that did that. Now there are, uh, and a lot of people do it. So it's kind of lost a little of its luster. So it's really, you know, now it's up to, it's up to the, what we've all learned from the past to like keep that level exceptionally mm-hmm. high and, mm-hmm. and try and keep, you know, producing stuff that is above what other people can do. And, um, you know, some of it is access too, obviously, because right, NFL right. films is owned by the league. So, um, you, you do get to do things that a lot of people don't get to do. Um, but yeah, so I got, I tried out for a few preseasons shooting, you know, with busted up old film equipment and I had to learn how to load film and, I bought a book to to teach me how to do that because I didn't have the internet. <laughs> Probably didn't have sixteen millimeter for dummies yet either, right? Right, right, right yeah, there. yeah. So anyway, that's that's kind of how I started doing it, and they started to call me. And, and to his credit, Roger, who was again the the news director at the station, mm-hmm. and and treated me really well, and had me doing all this Eagles coverage. Um, the first time NFL Films called me and asked me to do a shoot to do it an actual game. I had to clear it with him to, to do preseason stuff, which mm-hmm. wasn't that big of a deal. But the first time they called me for a real game, um, you know, I went to him and I was like, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? And he was like, well, you know, I, I don't want you to not work for us, but I, mm-hmm. I know how important this is to you. So, you know, go ahead and do it. And then the next yeah. week they called me again and I, I told them I can't, I mean, I had such respect for this guy that mm-hmm. I was like, I mm-hmm. can't, I, I made a commitment to these people to do this for this year. Uh, we can revisit this. I'd love to revisit it after the season's over, but I, I can't go back and ask him again. Mm-hmm. They're counting on me and I have to honor that commitment. And so it killed me, but I didn't, I didn't shoot more games the rest of that year. That was 1997, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, and so, you know, after that, I moved out of, out of off the Eagles beat, I had been on it for like eight years and, and it was time to get other people in there with like new mm-hmm. ideas anyway. And, and so I went back and worked in news for another couple of years while I did films mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the football season. And, and then I went freelance in 2000. So I thought I can do, I, I have enough of a client base now where I'm doing some corporate work and whatever on the side and, uh, I can dive in and buy equipment and, and do mm-hmm. my own work. And so I left in 2000, I left news and, uh, man, this is a long winded uh, answer to whatever the question was. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's sorry. a really great, it's a fascinating answer. And we will be right back after this message from our sponsor. This episode of future of the fairway podcast is sponsored by Yada golf. Yada golf and flink golf are a perfect pair. Both value inclusion, encouragement, passion, and being your whole self. Yada Golf has the best line of men's and women's golf shirts you'll find out there. I love the feel and texture of my polos, as well as their eye-catching designs. I'm currently rotating through Vintage King, Light Wave, and Fresh Flavors. And my favorite is whichever one I'm wearing that day. They've got premium polos for those who want to stand out on the golf course, and premium polos for those who want to keep a lower profile. Yada Golf. Master the shirt game. Conquer the short game. And now back to the future of the Fairway Podcast. Um, how, how, uh, 
how scary or or risky did that seem for you to go freelance? Was that like, did you have other models in the industry of people who were doing freelance that you were aware of? That's like, okay, I can make this work, or were you kind of like cashing in some chips and you know, say, here we go, I'm going to try it and see if it if it works or not. Yeah, you know, there were there were people that um, that I knew who were freelance, um, and they had commitments to equipment that was, you know, th- th- they were huge financial. I would, I don't want to say burden, but they were huge mm-hmm. commitments financially. Um, I knew guys who worked for CBS and, and, you know, shot 60 minutes and 48 hours and, you know, mm-hmm. all these like magazine type shows that were in existence then. Uh, I think ABC had one called primetime and mm-hmm. 2020 and there, you know, there were all these news magazine shows and mm-hmm. there were a lot of shooters in that I knew in Philadelphia and New York and, and South Jersey who were, who were equipped to shoot that stuff. And I, they would bring me in sometimes and, you know, I didn't own my own equipment, but I thought, well, you know, if I can get ramped up here and like, and figure out how to buy some of this stuff, I can get my own, you know, um, foundation set mm-hmm. up and, mm-hmm. and, and get my own base of clients. And then, you know, hopefully it'll work. But I knew that in 2000, I, I had kind of run out of gas with the TV news thing. Mm-hmm. Like I just mm-hmm. couldn't keep doing it. It was amazing. It taught me like, to put together a story. It taught me speed. Um, I'm not a good writer, but I've watched people who were amazing writers who could really craft a story out of nothing. There was a guy named Rich Maneri that I worked with at Fox 29 who, you know, you could show up and there was a house fire and it was gone. It happened two days ago and it was just like, just burnt a burnt building. Mm -hmm. And this guy would make the most incredible, beautiful story out of it. And I'm like, how do you do that, dude? Um, and it was just an, like an honor and, and a real learning experience to work mm. with people like that who were so good at those at those types of skills that I lack in. So um, I, I think, you know, I'm not a good writer, but I recognize it and, and it's inspired me and helped me craft the stories that I work on. And I see like what to do, what not to do and things like that. Mm. So mm-hmm. all of that stuff has, has been a huge influence. And that's why I could go with Alex to you know, an American classic and put something together by myself and hang a mic mm-hmm. on somebody. That was my news background was like, here's a news story. And then the great people I worked with at Fox 29 and, and elsewhere who inspired me to like, you know, look at angles differently and, you know, make your shots clean and nice and smooth and make sure everything is in order. And like all these different things um, came together and allowed me to, to work efficiently and quickly and do good stuff. So that's in demand, I think. Um, Yeah. You know, now more than ever, really. I mean, everybody wants video content now. So Mm -hmm. if you can have that skill set, you know, I think, I think there's work for you out there. So how many, uh, how quickly did you ramp up the number of games you did for, uh, for the NFL? Was that a, uh, Oh, it was like the first, the first year I was available. Um, you know, they used me every week mm-hmm. and That's great. I didn't, I didn't do, so that would have been like 98, maybe 1998, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, I didn't do, uh, a lot of, you know, back then they would go, they would send everybody to the Super Bowl. They would send everybody to Hawaii for the pro bowl. Like I never, I never went to Hawaii. Um, 
I didn't go to the Super Bowl for several years for for quite a while. Uh, I'm now at number at 20 Super Bowls, but <laughs> it took a while before I got to the first one. Um, Wh- which was for your first one? Uh, the first one was, I think it was Denver and Green Bay. All right, um, nice. Mm-hmm. When John Elway did did the helicopter spin, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was at that as in a different capacity. I wasn't shooting okay. that game, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of ramped up from there. And I remember, I remember um, in two thousand two, uh, that was the Super Bowl after nine eleven. Yep. Um, that was We're that was early, yeah, early Super Bowl. Yeah, that was just what, what an first. incredible atmosphere. Yeah. 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 And it, it, and it followed the previous year was the Titans uh, and Rams. Right, Titans and Rams. I was Where, not at that game. Well, the Titans was came not up there. Sure. I was in, uh, I was in college in Nashville, and uh, the Titans had moved from Houston uh, to Memphis the first year, and then my freshman year of college, they were still the Tennessee Oilers and playing at Vandy Stadium, and then that next year was when they went to the Super Bowl and had that run. But that was, yeah, so that was uh, one of the first really I, I had some investment. Like when the Titans won the AFC Championship, we all I think it was during finals week, but we went and sat in the stadium for like three hours waiting for them to fly back from Tampa and then <laughs> get on the get on the bus from the airport to the stadium. So wow, we, we had books. We were you know it was freezing cold because it was um, it was outdoors, but. Uh, that was that was a pretty exciting time. So I, I remember thinking, man, that was a fantastic Super Bowl. And then the very next year, um, following you know nine eleven and then uh, the Patriots, that was just an incredible, uh, incredible Super Bowl as well. Yeah, yeah, and that was that left a, a major impression on me. Just being really the first Super Bowl that I was able to um, to have field access and and to really do what we do for nfl films mm-hmm. um and, and shooting that game and then at halftime i really didn't have anything any work to do at halftime so i just could stand there and and watch you two perform that was i and, was <laughs> yeah uh, I, didn't, I don't mean to interject but like that i was actually it's only a super bowl i've been to but that was uh as a pats fan and i just remember like it was one of those things it was like you know not only were you watching a super bowl with your team, but it's also like, you've got a YouTube concert at, at, uh, in the middle of it. And yeah. when they did the, uh, I just always remember this, like, you know, streets have no names with them when they start ruling all the, all the names mm-hmm. of all the people that died on nine 11. It was, it was, it was just, just crazy. I mean, it was, it was, can't even imagine being, uh, being on the field for that. Yeah. I kind of wandered over toward the front of the stage and just, <clears throat> just stood there watching. I'd never seen you two live <clears throat> before or since. Um, and um, just the emotion of that moment, um, you know, at the end of where, where the streets have no name, Bono like opened his coat and it had the American flag right. sewn in yep. yeah. inside yeah. his coat. And it was like, Oh my God. Uh, I mean, people were just having meltdowns. It was mm-hmm. a remarkable moment that I, uh, will never forget. And, you know, people ask me all the time, what's the greatest this you saw or whatever. And when things happen, you generally, I'm generally like, Oh, I'm never going to forget this. And I forget all the time. And it's like, I can never remember anything that, you know, 
because it's I'm into the hundreds, like several hundreds of games that I've shot, and sure. you know they're interesting, fun, fantastic moments, and I I like to think I'm going to remember them in a and but that's one that's like just scorched in my in my mind as mm-hmm. as being one of the most incredible things I've ever witnessed, and it was just a concert, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was the situation, and you know. And, and just the performance um, of masterful performers, you know, mm-hmm. at that time who knew exactly what to do. It was just remarkable. Yeah, I, I, the other thing I remember, I, you know, obviously the game and, and all that, but I remember because it was the first Super Bowl after 9-11, there was, I mean, the, the amount of security that got ramped up for that and the metal detectors outside. And I just remember like all the news stories were that it was going to take, you know, forever to get in the stadium. So, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not missing kickoffs. So my friend and I uh, were like, you know, we're, we're showing up early. Anyway, we showed up so early that kickoff was like at whatever, six, six, oh, six fifteen, And like, I think we actually got into the stadium at like two thirty. And because we'd shown up there <laughs> thinking there was like hearing there was going to be like three hour lines, three and a half hour lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, we were so early that it, it took like 45 minutes. But it was it was crazy because we were then in there and there was you know people in there. But it was like it was still largely empty. We just had hours. But it was actually sort of like blissful in a sense. Like you just saw this. I remember seeing like the, you know, all the players come on the field, uh, you know, all dressed in like their suits. Like this is before you they even got uniforms on before they even gone out for practice. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you just sort of felt like you were, you know, sort of behind the scenes a little bit here. Like I remember seeing like, you know, somebody was there from, uh, I forget who was doing the game. I think it was, I don't know if it was Fox or, or uh, that was back in the CBS days, but um, like Kurt Warner and Tom Brady, like shaking hands at like midfield, like in their suits and being interviewed by somebody. And then, you know, they go back in the locker room and people come out for, for warm-ups. And it was, uh, and all of a sudden, like, you know, you know, two hours later, now there's like, you know, 60,000 people and it's still, you know, an hour before kickoff. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it, it was a, just a magical, you know, even, even before the game started and then what happened, obviously as a past fan was fantastic, but uh, it was just a, <laughs> just a magical day. And that was, uh, um, that's interesting, Rob, that that was sort of, you know, uh, had that, that, uh, that lasting impression for you as well, given, given everything you've seen so far. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Super Bowl is one of those games where, you know, I generally really don't like pregame. I mean, pregame is just excruciating, especially, (laughs) you know, when you have to be there early and it just takes forever and it's like, Oh, come on, let's just, you know, let's just tee this thing up already and, and let's go. Uh, the Super Bowl is generally not that way. There, there's an anticipation and a buzz that, um, that keeps you sort of on your toes and, and there, there's enough activity and there are things going on and people, just the people watching at a Super Bowl is great. And um, it, it, it really just develops uh, into this big, big moment that's like building and building and building throughout pregame, which most, most NFL games are not like that, you know? Yeah. So um, I always look it, forward it, to, to spending time just it, it was a, a, soaking that atmosphere in. And it was New Orleans, right? New Orleans, yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I've, you know, I'm, I went to grad school in Tuscaloosa, University of Alabama. So I know the Superdome's got a big, you know, a lot of history. There's always big, you know, Sugar Bowls played there. Um, the Saints play there. Uh, 
as far as atmosphere goes, how what kind of contributions does the host city have, and, and specifically for New Orleans, who's which has a incredible reputation for having some be, for being a great time, having uh, some great people. Uh, was there an added element for from that? Oh, New Orleans is one of the great American cities. I mean, it's it never gets old for me. Uh, I love going there. Um, I sometimes feel bad for the people who live there because um, it really is every idiot's playground. Um, you know, when you go, when you walk down Bourbon Street and you just see the sea of humanity and, you know, um, people the like John and his friend who are showing up for the Patriots' first Super Bowl. And- <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And there are all kinds of identifi- unidentifiable liquids that are, you know, you're stepping over and. Totally. Um, but uh, you know, it, it it's fun to uh, to spend a little time there. I, if you go, if you get out of that that whole mode and into mm-hmm. some of the neighborhoods and things like that, there are fantastic bars and restaurants and mm-hmm. just cool places to be and and little clubs and things that aren't sort of in that in in everybody's idea of what mm-hmm. New Orleans is, you know, off Canal Street there and stuff. So it's um it's just it's a beautiful place. It's so much fun. The food is great. If you like to eat, which I do, oh, yeah. if you like to drink, mm-hmm. which I do, like everything is to excess, you know, and it's just, it's, it's one of the great places to be. Like I said, I do, I do feel bad for the people that have to endure that because, you know, there are herds and herds of people that just come through there and truck the place and, and, right. and leave and leave it a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do an excellent job. Like if you walk around on a, you know, Friday night, it's just a sea of humanity and it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday morning, like the streets are clean, every trash is bagged up. Oh, uh, yeah. It's really remarkable how, how they're, how they're tuned into like that ritual of like keeping things mm-hmm. clean and mm-hmm. keeping things nice and, you know, making sure that it's good for the next day, which is pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable. Like I said, for, yeah. Yeah. Right, for a place so, that gets so heavily used. It, it is crazy. I, so I, this is uh, probably about four, four or five years ago, uh, spring break, my wife and daughter and I, uh, we went to New Orleans and it was funny because like my, my wife had never been there. My daughter had obviously never been there. Um, I love New Orleans and she sort of brought up as a spring break idea. And our daughter at that point in time was, she was probably 12 and I'm just thinking, I'm like, you sure about New Orleans? I'm like, I'd love to go to New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans is phenomenal. And I probably, you know, I then, we then booked a hotel that was actually off of Bourbon Street. It was a great hotel because it was sort of like, took up like sort of the whole block between Bourbon and I forget what the, uh, the, the uh, parallel street is. Mm-hmm. But we were like sort of right in, in the action. I was like, well, I, I sort of want to be right in the action in a sense, but it's a little crazy. And I'm like, well, there's early March. Like it's, it's probably, it's like after Mardi Gras, it's like not quite jazz fest. So it'll probably mm-hmm. be like, you know, relatively tame. Cause I'd only been there on sort of those kinds of occasions. And no, it was still like, it was just off and off week for New Orleans was like <laughs> in, in full game. And I remember this, like one of the days and I had two memories, like uh, first of all, and this is, this is like crazy and, and keep this or, or cut this. But like, so we're like, you know, my wife and daughter, like their first like experience with Norns, we check in the hotel. The hotel's great and everything like that. And you're sort of like, when you're inside the hotel, like you don't even realize you're that like close to Bourbon Street. Anyway, we walk out Bourbon Street within like, uh, like, like a half a block, we like turn a corner 
and it's basically a dude like drunk on like the side of the street like shitting himself i'm not even i'm not even kidding you like it literally oh, no. I'm, like, I'm like okay this i may have made a huge mistake <laughs> my family down there and uh so it was, it was sort of like joke that my wife and daughter were like the worst vacation ever the other but but the funny thing is like now like my daughter's like 16 and she's like she's like she like speaks like so fondly of that like spring break and she's sort of like, oh, I sort of want to go back to New Orleans. Like that was so cool. And it was like, it was so like, so like edgy. And, but the other funny thing was like, so like one morning, I think the first morning we were there, like my wife walks out like, you know, 9am, like on to Bourbon Street. And she's like, um, she's like, I didn't know it rained last night. I'm like, I'm like that's not rain. They, they basically <laughs> wash the streets down every night. She's like, shut up. Like, no, I'm not like, watch. Like every every morning, if you go out at 9 a.m., it'll be like basically like it'll look like it rained because they will just go out at like 3, 4 a.m. and wash everything down. But like Rob said, like it, it actually like they have to do that. And because of that fact, it's actually then like it's almost like it's you start over. And whatever happened last night is like it's that's it's done and cleaned away. And it's now it's uh, ready to do it again. But, uh, but I, I mean, I, I can't say enough about New Orleans. I love New Orleans. And we are at some point going to have a tournament down in the sort of New Orleans Baton Rouge area. Um, David Day said he's going to organize the whole thing, but it's, it's going to happen. I think that would be a really cool place to, uh, to, uh, to have one for our, uh, for our community. Rob, what are some of the other cities uh, that, that you enjoy? Uh, well, I mean, London is one of my favorite places to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I, my wife went to, to school there for a while. And so she really has an affinity for London. Mm-hmm. She, she loves it. She would move there tomorrow if I would go for it. <laughs> um, it's just a fantastic city with like, we, we love Indian food and there's amazing mm, Indian yeah. food there. Um, and it's just, you know, it's got great public transit and just mm-hmm. terrific history and great modern stuff to see and do and theater and whatever. It's just so, so good. Um, in terms of us cities, I mean, uh, people, people ask me all the time, like, what's, what's your favorite place to shoot at? What's the best place to go to shoot an NFL game? And I'm like, well, they all have their different sort of, uh, challenges or, or bonuses Mm -hmm. or, or, or negatives. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, Baltimore is a fantastic place to go shoot an NFL game for me. Uh, I, I love it there. It's a great stadium. The people are great. The crowd's yeah. usually very good. It's loud. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's just a unique, nice building in a nice setting. Yeah. And where they park us, we get on 395 and get out of there in like five minutes, which is fantastic because not all <laughs> NFL stadiums are like that. And, uh, you know, I can be home in, you know, an hour and 20 minutes from there, oh, which, is, which is great, uh, yeah. driving up 95 back to mm-hmm. the Philadelphia area. Um, you know, DC, DC has been tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team has been a struggle. The traffic is terrible. Yeah. The parking is bad. The, uh, you know, the building is getting bad. You know, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, so like I said, there, there, there are all these, you know, factors that I factor in. I can't give anybody an answer on where I like to work the best or where I don't right. like to work because, you know, some places feed us great, which is very important to me. <laughs> um, like when we go to New England, that can be a tough place to get out of. It can take time to get out of oh, there. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, the clam chowder there is fantastic in the media room. So good. Nice. 
and uh, they introduced me to putting Frank's Red Hot in in clam chowder, <laughs> yep. in New England clam chowder, which I'd never done before. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I like this a lot. <laughs> so, you know, all these places have their have their quirks. And mm-hmm. um, what's good is that I get to to mix it up a lot and see a lot of different places and have some variety, which is really what you want in a job, you know, to be able to yeah. see and do different things all the time is, is a huge, huge bonus. Uh, I know that not everybody gets to do that. So it's nice to not be tied to an office. It's nice mm-hmm. to get to meet new people and do different things and, and, you know, get to go to a beautiful golf course and shoot people throwing, uh, yeah. flinging a golf ball. I mean, that's just, that's fantastic. That's way better than sitting in an office, you know? <laughs> so uh, we've got San Diego coming up. Um, and I was, when you were talking about being with a news team, I can't help but think about Anchorman. Um, <laughs> and you were, uh, you were talking about the Fox team being the best in Philly. Um, are there any comparisons that you can remember of who would have been who, which news team in Philly would equate to um, Ron Burgundy's team versus uh, Vince Vaughn versus the- <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh! Now I have to go back and think about the movie, the film. <laughs> right. um, I yeah, mean, I, for for me, just that that was such a surprise cameo of this rumble of different news teams uh, showing up, and you've got you know Ben Stiller coming up out of nowhere with the Spanish news team, and uh, <laughs> some really really fun fun things. Yeah, um, who who maybe, thought that? Maybe up? the compare. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe the comparisons aren't there, but um, were there any rivalries? that you remember um, oh, from, yeah. from those days? Oh, yeah. Maybe not yeah. nunchucks coming out. but uh. Well, it got close many times. Um, I remember the last year that I worked at Fox in Philly, so this would have been um, like the winter of 99 leading into 2000. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I was sent out with Bruce Gordon, who's a fantastic reporter, um, really just an exceptional human being and, and, and a really smart guy, one of the smartest people I've ever known. And one of the greatest communicators I've ever known. Guy is so sharp and fast and quick-witted. Um, but he and I were sent to um, to a news story with um, where there was one other team from the NBC station here in Philadelphia. Don Lemon was the reporter, actually, who's now at CNN. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And apparently the, um, the camera guy for the NBC station who I didn't even, I, I'd seen him all over the place, but didn't, didn't know who he was, um, became a bit unhinged and was decided he was going to take me on, you know, first with <laughs> elbows and banging into me while we were shooting something where there was no crowd of people. It was oh, goodness. The two of us standing there shooting, you know, an official from this prison who came out to talk to, to the media, of which there were mm-hmm. only four people. Um, and this guy's bumping me and throwing elbows. And I, I, I'm like, dude, what's going on here? And uh, he got, he became unglued and started yelling at me, telling me that he'd been watching me and he didn't like how I was acting. And, and uh, which, which was probably a pretty fair assessment. Uh, I think as we, as we get older, we, uh, we, we, we mature and we, we learned uh-huh. that um, maybe we weren't what we thought we were back <laughs> back in the day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. um, but I didn't even know the guy. Uh, I knew I knew him to see him, but that was really it. Never had a conversation mm-hmm. with him before that, and it almost came to fisticuffs. And then Don Lemon turned on Bruce Gordon, <laughs> who was my reporter, 
and it was almost like reporter on reporter fight and camera guy on camera guy fight in the parking lot of this prison at night. And I'm like, what, what, what brought this on? How did this happen? So like, um, so, Anchor, so Anchorman is not totally far fetched. Yeah. No, no, there's no, there are there's no all tridents, kinds of, but uh... it's uh, it's a freak show. Um, maybe more so than any other any other walk of life. I mean, there's there are people who who show up in full makeup, twenty four seven, go out to a bar at night in full makeup, like like Ron Burgundy style, right, right. Uh, and you're like, dude, you've been off the air for fourteen hours. Don't you want to take that makeup off? Um, <laughs> uh, and we had a president who did that too, but, uh, yeah. we won't go there. Um, but yeah, so, uh, new TV news, it, it was, it, it's a good thing to, uh, to, to, to make fun of, cause there's a lot to be made fun of in TV news. And, um, you know, we had, I mean, I can tell all kinds of weird stories about just crazy stuff that happened. Um, you know, they, they have the microwave trucks and my buddy Joe, when I worked at WNEP in Scranton, my buddy Joe is doing a live shot with a microwave truck. It has like a 40 foot high mast where it shoots the, you know, it shoots a microwave signal of the video okay. to a tower on the mountain somewhere. And that is connected back to the TV station. And that's how they, you know, can, could do live shots and mm -hmm. still do. Um, and then Joe packed up everything after the live shot and drove down the street with the mast still up at 40 feet high oh, no. and caught power lines and tore them down. <laughs> the mast fell straight down the middle of the street. Luckily it didn't hit anybody or any cars. Uh -huh. um, that was a sight to behold. So uh, there, there are things like this that happen in TV news all the time. Oh, it's, geez. it's, you know, I'm sure there have been book, books written about it mm -hmm, uh, because mm -hmm. if you do a career long enough in that, in that medium, yeah. you, uh, you, you can stockpile a lot of incredible stories about weird stuff and, and really strange things that happen. That's great. That, and, including, you know, all kinds of disasters and, you know, other mm -hmm. things that mm -hmm. humans really shouldn't see. Yeah. Well, uh, my, my takeaway is going to be is uh, Anchorman was a documentary. Right. Um, <laughs> and, yep. And legit. That's um, cool. Uh, yep. So when, uh, when did you start um, picking up and filming things other than uh, football? Had you been, and I know you were picking up different things uh, in the news, but when you transitioned to, to be um, uh, on your own, what uh, was a you know, pretty steady job with uh, NFL stuff? Were there other things that came up in the off season? Right. Well, you know, I think what, um, what I learned and what I still believe now, and I tell people is that, you know, the relationships that you make um, will serve you through other places and you know mm. they cross pollinate um there were people that i worked with in news who moved on to other things like you know uh the the um the uh, public relations director of mm -hmm. an energy company or you know some you know orchestra pr person or mm -hmm. like the people move into other areas and other jobs and they take you along if if you have a relationship mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. You know, those relationships served me pretty well. Uh, it, I, I find it, you know, um, increasingly um, less diverse because people are retiring and whatever. You know, mm -hmm. I've established mm -hmm. relationships that I've had with people for 30 some years and they call me whenever they need something. And it's like, well, have you ever done this before? No, but let's do it. And we do it. Mm 
Um, but uh, I remember I had a, a year a few years ago where I had uh, one of the people that I worked with in news who used me a lot at a private school um, okay. basically decided that she was going to take, you know, a hiatus and, and not work anymore for a while. And then I had someone else who, who was using me a lot who retired from, from her work in uh, corporate work. Mm -hmm. And a third person who used me a lot who had a baby and was going to take a year off. And it's like in one year, like all my pool wow. of like people who, who used me, you know, really tested my, my, um, my, my ability to, to bounce, to bounce back and, and to, mm -hmm. uh, to kind of, you know, put on my boots and get back to work and like find new people to work with. But, um, you know, those relationships have continued now and all those people have continued to use me. So, you have ups and downs as a freelancer, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you can establish relationships with people early on in your career, those will serve you for a long time. So, like I said, I, I've branched out into all kinds of different things based on, based on those contacts and those people who, mm -hmm. you know, if they need somebody, they call me up, yeah. which is great. Yeah. So have you tried, uh, have you tried a fling stick? I actually tried it for the first time. A few months ago, um, I was intrigued and I wanted to try it. And I had never, I played with the sticks at, uh, at American classic when we were mm -hmm. shooting, but I never actually threw a ball mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. or flung a ball, I guess. Um, and I called, I think I, I sent an email to Alex and said, Hey, you mentioned, uh, uh, that you had a fling stick laying around that I could try out. And he's like, yeah, I'll put one outside on the porch. Come, come over to the house and just <laughs> grab it whenever you want. Was it his parents' place or something? Yeah. And I drove over there and picked it up and I thought, I'm going to try this and went out with some friends of mine and they were, um, they're regular golfers. I'm, I played a lot. I played golf early in my career and in college you know, in the summer, I would play a couple of days, you know, like two days a week. I would play nine holes before work because I worked like at 3 p.m. And I would go out with some friends in the morning and I was always terrible. Can't hit a ball. Um, but I thought, well, this this, you know, looks like something I can do. And um, I took this fling stick out. I paid the greens fees. It was like 40 bucks to go out with my buddies. Mm -hmm. And I just took one ball and the fling stick. And. They were like everybody that everybody that saw me using it was intrigued. Like other golfers were coming up, yeah. like, "Dude, what is that?" And you know, they would try it, and I would. I at that time, you know, the ESPN show had not aired yet, oh, okay. so people were like, "What is that thing?" And I, I would tell them, you know, look out for it in the ESPN, and told them about mm -hmm. what it was, and um, and then I went in the clubhouse afterwards, and and you know, walked up to the guys who were were selling you know, the, um, hot dogs in there or whatever. And, you know, in the pro shop and, uh, they were not impressed. <laughs> and so I scooted out of there quickly, <laughs> got myself out of there. Um, uh, but uh, no, seriously, everybody was like, what is this? And that's when I, you know, it really hit me like this has a chance to really, to really take root, you know, because mm -hmm. when people see this, um, and they see how sort of approachable it is, Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, the, the pressure, I mean, I, I can't stand there and strike a golf ball oh, and, with everybody watching me right, and, right. you know, doing all, all these gyrations in my mind about like where, you know, 
how I have to swing and how, and, and I know I can't swing anyway. And it's, it's an intimidating act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to be able to, to participate with my friends, because I, I don't want to go out and golf. I really, I'm not any good at it. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, but the fling thing makes it approachable for somebody like me who isn't good at that. And it lets me go out with three guys who go golfing all the time and I can go out with them. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's just been fantastic. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking forward to playing more and, um, and I really think it has a future, you know, as, mm -hmm. as something that's just a new approachable way to spend that time on a golf course with friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the same way with, uh, traditional clubs. Um, there's that fear, uh, in the tee box of one, being able to hit it. And two, if I actually do, I don't know if I want to because I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> Other than it's not going to go in the fairway, um, and uh, and that pressure uh, with the fling stick just um, hasn't been there. It's approachable and a, a much uh, not, not as steep of a learning curve. Yep. Yeah. So uh, you know, back to what Rob said about you know sort of connections when we mm -hmm. first got approached by ESPN. This is. This is back in, um, gosh, this would have been, you know, like the fall, sort of mid-fall of 2021 and okay. about the, the possibility for this. So, you know, we sort of had to wrap our heads around and they sort of said, look, don't, you know, let's talk in early January. That's when we start, you know, putting these, these segments together. And, and uh, um, I know you guys really haven't had, because of COVID, you really haven't had, you know, these, these organized tournaments, but they had seen... Um, uh, one a thing we'd done a longest fling shot uh, thing we'd mm -hmm. done in, in locally in Boston and it was, it was like a two minute segment we did and, and they were interested in that and but then you know they, they basically said look it's if you guys can you know produce which I didn't know at the time like I, I always thought that you know the stuff that they put on you know the Ocho was either filmed by them or that it was like they basically you know picked a sport they wanted to cover then they covered it and it's, right, you know, right. it's completely different, which is they, you know, for those, you know, sports, they, they basically said it's, it's sort of like a, a, uh, a barter kind of arrangement where it's like, you've got to, you got to produce the whole thing. So you've got to come with a, we will be with you sort of every step of the way, but like, we're not providing, you know, camera people, we're not providing equipment, we're not providing really anything. And mm -hmm. so you just need to produce a segment and to our specs and then, you know, if we like it, we'll, we'll air it. And so it's, you know, that's, that's the deal. And it was sort of like, you know, it was, it was sort of good news, bad news for us because it was the, you know, the bad news part was sort of like, whoa, this is, this is actually like a much bigger undertaking. Like it's going to be hard enough. Like we have to put on our first tournament to begin with and right. then we're going to try to film it. But, you know, I think the more that we thought about it, like the good news is like, we actually like control our own destiny. So, you know, the members talking with Alex and it was like, we had, I think we at that point in time, I sort of, it was a sort of a, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure we had then, you know, settled on American class where it was going to be. And our, like our first thought was like, you know, I just remember saying like, if you, we talked to like Rob recently, because like, if we can get Rob for this, that would be like, that'd be amazing. Like that's like, that's, that's number one on the list. And like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you know, I hope we can get number one and we can find somebody else, but like, let's, you know, let's, let's see if, you know, Rob's available. And, um, 
I just, you know, remember that first, you know, conversation. Because at that point in time, I I I met Rob. Um, I I seen his work, and you know, Al had, had raved about you know Rob the person as well. Um, but uh, I just remember thinking like, okay, like I, you know, not hundred percent knowing that you know we thought you know he did a great job on the on the, the original segment, but it also might have been like he might have come away thinking like hey, this stuff is crazy. Like I, <laughs> I don't I don't <laughs> sign up for you know half an hour segment on this. But uh, you know, I just remember that first call we had where we really were just uh, you know that you know Rob was so open to actually then then doing this and. Even then, it was it was you know I knew at the time that that uh, it was just the beginning because like there were there were a lot of you know a lot of work had to go into sort of pre-production because mm-hmm. of the um, the challenges. I mean, I, like lo- looking at it from a with you know no real experience in you know um, you know sports filming other than like being a f- big fan of watching sports and mm-hmm. you sort of think about things that get that get filmed and I'm like. You know, golf has got to be the most like challenging thing because you're not there's not a field of, like your field of play is like you know these acres of of real estate and you see like the number of cameras they have and they've got towers and things like that and by the way like we're going to you know not, not only that we're going to try to cover this all in 22 minutes and by the way we're not only just going to do the individual tournament but we're also going to do a longest slingshot you know championship so we're trying to actually cover two events in you know 22 minutes and uh so i'm like this is like this isn't just show up and shoot this is <laughs> there has to be a uh, a game plan but uh but i gotta say like rob like from the very start was you know just just open to the concept but also and and this is huge and, and rob like we just can't thank you enough which like rob was he was very generous with his time and his resources and not breaking the bank with us. And, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I just, I cannot thank you enough, Rob, because, you know, what, you know, our appetite was very big for what we wanted out of this segment and what it normally would have, you know, cost a company like ours for, for, for your time and, and equipment. And, working with us to, you know, trim out the stuff that we didn't need or, you know, reduced rates. I just, I, I can't thank you enough for that because um, it just, it wouldn't have been possible without, you know, you, you being so giving in that sense. Um, so thank you, Rob. Oh, certainly. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> you, you happen to find somebody who, comes from a background of being able to do a lot of different stuff and figure out how to do those things, um, you know, on a, on a small crew. I mean, there are plenty of production companies that you could work with that would require, you know, a truck and multiple this and that. And, you know, that's the only way they know how to work really. Um, I think one of the great advantages I have is having that news background where I learned how to work quickly and efficiently and, you know, there's stuff I can't do or there's stuff that I can't do simultaneously. And I always tell clients that. And it's like, look, if I need to get a sound man in here, like that's what I have to do because I can't give you what you're looking for. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the one of the values that I've tried to uh, to give my clients is is value. You know, um, there's a market for people who spend a ton of money and work with huge crews. I know those people. 
I work with those people a lot. Um, I do that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also a huge market of people who like want a good production, who want solid fundamentals and want something that they can be proud of and don't have a huge budget. And it's like, how can we make this work? How can we make this happen? Mm-hmm. And um, so there are those of us out there that, that do that kind of thing. And, you know, it's, um, it's been good. It's been good for me. It keeps me very busy. Mm-hmm. I make a good living. I'm happy. I, I employ other people. Um, and, you know, we all work hard and we make, we make our money and we have a beer at the bar at night and we go home and we're, you know, we're in good shape. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you found me and I'm, I'm glad, uh, that we had the opportunity to do this project because it was, you know, it really, the more I, the more I worked on it, the more I wanted to work on it. And, you know, you hit a point where it's like, oh God, we got to get this done. But, but it was never a burden, uh, which is great because some, some projects you work on can be a burden. You know? <laughs> uh, Have you shot or put together uh, some golf, golf related things prior? Yeah. Well, that's another thing. I mean, having worked in news and having had a news director who was so committed to sports, you know, we had mm-hmm. a, we had a big sports show on Sunday nights um, called sports Sunday. And it was like a half hour long show after the news mm-hmm. and it was all sports stuff. And, and when, you know, the PGA tour would come in or the LGPA would be in South mm-hmm. Jersey or whatever, we would go shoot that stuff and I would go follow a golf ball flying through the air. And, you know, I was exposed to a lot of this stuff from early on in my career based on, you know, the commitment that certain people had to covering it. So I, I was lucky that way. Yeah. I I remember. uh, Go ahead, John. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I remember like you really very quickly got to after those first couple calls, like we, you know, Figuring out just how like sort of minimum number of cameras we had to get sort of every angle and this this whole sort of how are we going to you know not having a different film crew on every hole and it was the, you know this sort of cadence of we're going to have somebody filming you know tee shot from the side tee shot from the back Rob filming the ball in, in flight and then flip flopping to the approach shots from the fairway and then here's the coverage on the green and I I don't know that's where you know for me it was like. I don't know, like that was, it was just so cool, like thinking that out, which is sort of like, you know, thinking this from the perspective of, you know, a production perspective, like these are the, the shots we need to get at the end of the day and thinking all the angles and, you know, just Rob's, you know, experience there with, you know, this is going to work, this is going to work. Okay, we, we, we could get by with, you know, one fewer cameras if we have this angle and, yes, we can do this. It's as long as we've got, you know, just the practical things are sort of like, as long as we've got a cart so that the person filming mm-hmm. behind on the tee shot can immediately go set up for the next one because we need that one stationary. And thinking through all that stuff, just, I don't know, just gave me such an appreciation for what you do, Rob, and just in terms of how like sports is, you know, filmed and produced because you've got to think through all those little steps one of those things like you're just not you know to make it you know to get all the coverage and for us it was yes it wasn't live but you still had to get all the angles so that you'd have enough stuff to tell a story at the end of the day and we will be right back after this message from our sponsor and now back to the future of the fairway podcast yeah if you if you (coughs) excuse me if you have um good people that you trust working 
with you, um, which I did. I hired two guys that are just fantastic yep. uh, to shoot. And um, the, the drone operator, my guy Bo, who, who I mm. use for drone mm -hmm. stuff, is fantastic and just has the most amazing sensibilities. Um, there, there's a shot in the show where we see, uh, might have been the Lucky Jack putting, and the drone is flying between two trees slowly, like moving toward him. And I mean, there are guys who fly and, you know, we'll get you shots. And then there are guys that go, that, that do that, you know, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. shot is like, when I saw that, I was like, Bo, you, like, <laughs> it's just incredible. Like, uh -huh. that's why I want to hire him all the damn time. Because if you get somebody, you don't have to like instruct on every detail. Right. You, can, mm -hmm. you can leave them alone and they just come back and knock your socks off. That's that's just the greatest. And we had that on that shoot. So, you know, all credit to those guys. They uh, they blew me away with what they gathered. And, and Bo, frankly, saved our bacon a few times where we didn't quite have uh, – there was one shot where Big Cat is, like, flinging over a tree yeah. to try and hit the green. And, mm -hmm. and neither of the ground cameras could really illustrate that. Uh, it just – it the way the, the layout fell and everything, we mm -hmm. couldn't really – you know, we could have we could have put the shot in and it would have been fine, but the drone shot showing that and we could spot shadow Big Cat as he flung the ball over like that. Totally like ramped up the quality of what we were doing, and um, so, you know, I just I can't say enough about finding people who, you know, who are good that you can, that you can really trust and, and you can go and worry about your stuff and that's what I try to do for clients too. It's like you're worried about like the production just, you know, I'll try and take all of the product, all of the technical stuff off your plate. So you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You just show up and, and focus on what you need to gather and let us, you know, take care of the technical end of things. Mm -hmm. So I try to, I try to keep that in, you know, in line all the way through from the guys I hire to how I serve my clients. Um, Cause then you just get fantastic stuff. How about in post production? How um, what was the was that uh, coming up with? Our we're going to basically give two thirds of the time to the uh, the finals, and we're going to do about a third of the time for the longest fling. Was did y'all know that going in? Uh, was that decided after you got footage? Um, how did did you storyboard any of that uh, based on what you had? We we actually did. We like we storyboarded the whole thing and and. I remember looking back on it and I, I, never, I haven't done a sort of finished versus the storyboard, but like we are really close to almost the exact way we storyboarded it because we sort of like, you know, cause, cause not only that, like you, you had the individual, you had Larner's fling. You also had sort of B roll, the introduction, the B roll montage, and then the sort of what is fling off. Cause like you had to sort mm -hmm. of explain for a lot of people, cause this is the first time people are seeing a, a tournament. So we really sat sort of each of those segments and I remember the way we did it. We sort of put in, you know, we had to come it up at like 22, 23 minutes and um, you know, we, we probably had 25 minutes storyboarded because we had sort of ranges for each of those. Mm -hmm. But like at the end of the day, like we were within the range for every one of those and it was almost down to like 30 seconds for each of those. those and granted, like that was, I will say that was a, ton of work after it because like oh, yeah. literally like every second mattered and it was one of those mm -hmm. things like it was just this gradual thing getting down to 
um, to the final time. In fact, I will remember like when we got, we heard from, from Lauren at ESPN, she's like, she mentioned like, you know, cause we weren't quite sure she had sort of kept it loose at like normally a half hour segment with just going to be 22, 23 minutes for, you know, to leave room for the commercials. But it was like, for us, like the difference was, was huge. So I remember when she said, mm-hmm. you just have to come in at 23 minutes. And I remember like that minute, extra minute that we got was like, was like everything for us. Cause it meant we didn't have <laughs> to, you know, there were 10 shots and we didn't have to cut. And, you know, for also for this, the first tournament, we also, we wanted to get as many people um, that were at that mm-hmm. tournament, you know, at mm-hmm. least even if it was three or four seconds, we wanted to sort of get everybody. So like it was definitely like you know when once again it was it was I, I I do remember like our our time like you know crunch was I mean that was like the third week of May and they wanted they wanted a rough cut to on June first and then I negotiated like how about like June tenth even knowing that that was like going to be like ridiculous although yeah. I will say like having Rob like the whole like I was sort of like always like mindful of like i don't know if espn is going to be difficult i don't know if they're going to you know and he's mm-hmm. like he's like john you gotta understand like this is like this is an airing into august it's like a lifetime in sports and mm-hmm. as long as you show them progress and like we'll give them a rough cut in sort of you know early june by that deadline but it'll be really rough but it'll show them the quality of the video that we have mm-hmm. and he was dead on. and like every time we would show him something and we would gradually you know show them more and more and then eventually we'd layer the audio in but like it was it was you know they were so impressed from the first rough cut that they basically sort of left us alone and i also remember like um it was crazy like they had like they had like no notes on this like on the, on the initial like rough mm-hmm. cut and so, like, so austin was not in those initial cuts <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, so like Rob's experience was, just, was fantastic because it was like, it was basically as he described it, he's like, show them something good, you show them good footage and they will, mm-hmm. uh, um, they will leave you alone. And, and Lauren told us sort of after the fact, she's like, yep, once I saw the rough cut, everybody loved it in the office. And they're like, we, we, we sort of could focus on some of the other segments for the Ocho that mm-hmm. like, they needed some work. So we're not going to worry about you guys. And we're just, you know, we're not going to worry about you until there's a reason to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, not to mention at that point, we still had a ton of stuff to do on the, uh, the, the post-production, but uh, like, you know, the graphic stuff as well as the, uh, as well as the, uh, the audio, um, which was, was a, was a fun part of it. Cause we got to do it because it was all done, you know, after the fact. And right, right. that was one of those sort of, that was like the, one of the good news of, of the, the, you know, being able to not do something live or something that had a quick turnaround was that mm-hmm. we could effectively get to, you know, that sort of winnowing down, like, you know, mm-hmm. the footage that we had and getting sort of in striking range and getting the footage together to, to tell the stories for each of the, each of the events, which, you know, the process in itself. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember, you know, this is, this is where, where they, you know, for me, it was, it was a labor of love, but it was also, I, I you know, I knew that everything that Rob had, had given us on, on, on this project. And so it was sort of like, you know, I, I don't want to get in the way of anything, obviously, but I'm like, the, if I can help out and, you know, take stuff off of his plate and, or at least give him direction so that he can work his, 
his magic and the editing. Like I was more than happy to do it. It was great. It was because like we've had other people film stuff for us before where they're like, you know, it's 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 all about sort of like their cut in a sense. Whereas like mm-hmm. Rob was like completely collaborative, which was phenomenal. It was like after, you know, after, you know, a few days after the tournament, it was like, okay, well, here's here's all the shots that we've got. And I remember just going through it with, you know, with Alec and Steve as well, but like we'd sort of all like collectively go through like literally every shot and, you know, the, and sort of like, you know, where's, where, what are the magical things? What are the things mm-hmm. like, you know, this has got to be in there. What are, what are the things that, okay, we need something to tell a story because you got to, you, especially the individual tournament, you've got to, you know, it's, it's a sort of shot for shot kind of thing, but putting that all together was, uh, um, you got to, you got to look at a lot of footage. And I think it's that, that time constraint was, was uh, making every second count is where uh, um, the challenge, but also for me, it was, it was some of the most enjoyable stuff looking back on it was the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, you're just, you're really getting into the, into the nitty gritty of it. Um, How many hours did y'all get, Rob? Do you remember? Uh, I don't recall hours wise. I could look it up, but uh, I mean, it's terabytes of footage. Uh, yeah. And I, mean, I went into it wanting to shoot 4k and it was quickly becoming, you know, unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we kind of backed that off cause we didn't have to, del- we had to deliver in 720, you know, mm-hmm. basically the dumbest down, <laughs> totally. down, the dumbest <laughs> down version of high def that exists. Uh-huh. Um, and that's what that's what know, that's ESPN what we're uses, recording that in right now. Fox uses, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, you know, we can acquire in a slightly larger than what we need to deliver in, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, and then basically when we get to the end of this thing, we'll put it in whatever sort of crunchy, grungy, ratty mm-hmm. format that it has to be put into <laughs> to get on right. television. Yeah. Um, yeah, which you know, all all artists will will tell you that that you know they don't like sort of that last phase where it's got to get, it's got to be prepared for, for consumption. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it, it's everything that is beautiful and big and gorgeous and colorful and gets squished down into like something that can be delivered. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's, that's just, uh, that, that's the worst part of the process is trying to, is trying to walk that, that line between like the stuff you've been working on so hard and that you love and that you think is really cool. And, and, and then seeing what it ends up like at the very mm-hmm. final phase because of technical limitations. Um, but you know, that was, that was really the hardest thing because thank God, John went through, you know, thousands of clips that we mm-hmm. shot and I uploaded for him and, you know, terabytes of footage and crafted what you see. Um, if I had to do that all myself, you know, it, it would have been a real struggle and it was the kind of thing that was weighing on me until, you know, John asked for the footage and all of a sudden turned around, uh, you know, what he wanted. And I was like, Oh my God, thank you. Thank you for doing that. I thought this was all going to be on me. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it was a great collaboration that, um, you know, we each were kind of hitting our stride there in the summer yeah. and, um, you know, it got down to crunch time there in July, but, um, we got it done. Yeah, no, yeah, we did. It, it was, it was, uh, even the, and I just, some of the fun stuff I remember is, is I do remember like 
Um, so then once like we pretty got, we are pretty close to video lock. And then it was like, at that point it was like, okay, now we got to do the, the audio and like the commentary and make it sound like you've got these two announcers here that are doing it live. And then it's like, <laughs> but, uh, so it's like sort of writing a script and like Rob sort of like basically, uh, you know, planted this sort of seed. He's like, he's like, look, look at this is like, you can just sort of script this thing once you know where the video is. And he's like, I'm going to send you these, these, these microphones and you'll just, as well as this little recording unit, and you'll just, you know, effectively set up a little mini sound studio. But like, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's, you know, you, you really want to, um, you know, line this, we'll, we'll eventually then line it up to the actual shots. But, you know, you can, you can script it out. And then, and it was, it was funny because we did some of these rough cuts, which I totally still have. And like these will eventually like come out because like and that's that's what I love about this too is like I feel like you know having the archive for this stuff because we, we, there's just so much footage and eventually like some of this stuff will um, there's a thirty like, for thirty uh, oh no well exactly <laughs> right and some of these like rough cuts like like the first audio one and it was really just to sync it up with the video and have it and also to give something to ESPN because. We also then needed to give their get their approval on the actual like what was being said because that's where they could potentially you know push back. They'd seen the, yeah. the the video at that point in time, so we did this one. But it was really rough, and I it was one of those things. I remember like I I sent this this and Rob, you heard this, but I also sent this like email to like Warren and ESPN, sort of like you know you can't, like just so you understand, and I cannot emphasize this enough. This is not how we're actually going to sound when we're recording. Oh, because the other thing was, um, it was just going to be easier to do it because I'd sort of written the script. I did both voices. So, but I did both voices. And then I started to think, well, should I do like, you know, the voices differently and have uh-huh. fun with this? I'm like, I'm not an actor. Like, I, I, like, it's hard enough for me to do one voice that's slightly, mm-hmm. you know, different and not so different from my own voice. So I just did the same thing in my own voice, but... I had to make it totally the same. And it just sounded like the most bizarre thing because it was like somewhat monotone. And it was like these people going back and forth, but they sounded exactly the same. But it was like, it's comedy. Like, I think, you know, mm-hmm. we'll definitely really release clips of that at some point. And thankfully it's sort of, she got the message and I was like, we will, we will actually act like we're, you know, happy to be here on the actual yeah, recording yeah. and excited. <laughs> and not, have, <laughs> not have this just saying words. And, uh, and I'll, I also remember that, that even as we got close and we started recording the actual thing, we had to make, uh, and I think there were some last minute changes and, and appreciate, appreciate Rob, you'd like be having the patience with us because there are a couple of things we recorded and we started to listen to them. And I'm like, ah, that, I really don't like that line. That's, that's, that's not good. Like I remember there, there were a couple, there was one in particular and I, it just didn't really like it when we put it in the script. And then I was like, I was like, Oh, you gotta re-record that. We gotta come up with something better. And we honestly, like, I think we spent 45 minutes, Al and I, like, doing, like, variations of what that line could be. <laughs> it, uh, it was, like, it was at the very end. And it was, it was actually, like, when, when, uh, when Kenzo, like, like, stuck the green, got his Reggie on the, on the last mm-hmm. hole after everybody else had. So it was actually, like, it was, he needed to deliver there. Mm-hmm. And, like, we, just, we had to get the line because it was just, like, the original lines were just not, they had, they had no, no passion or no energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, that was uh, 
like being able to make those sort of last minute changes in sort of you know July when sort of ESPN was waiting for it. But I, I think it was, you know, it was instrumental the whole, the, the whole thing. And uh, um, you know, we wanted people would know, and if you thought about it for a second, you know, it was done after the after the fact. Mm-hmm. But if you were there, but like as much as possible, like we wanted to give it that feeling as if you were just were watching, you know, event that was filmed live and then just cut, you know, as well as like the audio, the, the, the two guys are there yeah. like commenting on this stuff. And I think, uh, I don't know, you know, I'm biased, but I, I feel like we pulled that off. I feel like someone who wasn't there and it was just watching it for the first time would have, would have not understood went into sort of, you know, the production on, you know, pre and, and post, um, which, uh, but that also, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so proud of what we did because it was, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fun challenges with that. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, we, we, we had uh, so much fun doing that. And uh, I, I'm curious what the, um, if Rob, if, if you were to, uh, if there was an attempt to do a live coverage of a phone golf tournament, what just from a scale perspective, um, what would be required for that? Oh well, then now you're, you know, you're talking about a regular golf kind of production because of, mm-hmm. you know, like right. what you mentioned earlier, John, just the, the acreage, you know, mm-hmm. just the sheer size of a golf course. Uh, you know, we were able to take, basically, uh, on the, you know, the, the final four holes, where we followed the leaders. You know, we could cover that with three cameras, with a drone and two ground cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's no way you could do that for a live, a live production. You know, we were jumping in golf carts and moving to the ne- moving downfield mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to get the next shot, and we could hold up play for a couple seconds and say, "Hang on a second, okay, we're rolling." We had headsets on so we could communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, on a, a real golf tournament, like they don't they they cover the holes with the cameras they need to cover with. Mm-hmm. Now they do shuttle cameras back and forth and stuff like that but it's just you know the, the it goes to the next level in terms of production mm-hmm. when you think about um being able to actually see the shot now you have transmission mm-hmm. we we mm-hmm. didn't need to show the shot live to anybody so we're just recording in the camera right uh, now you're talking about cabling or wireless mm-hmm. hops mm-hmm. to a truck somewhere um it just goes like you know through the roof very quickly yeah, yeah. in terms of cost and and manpower and all that. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to be able to do this and have the control that you had, John, you know, you guys could, uh, I, I know we struggled a little bit early on in the longest fling competition because of communication, because it was such a long distance. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, the headsets would cut out or whatever. And, um, but we, we kind of got in a really good groove with that. And then um, that set us up nicely for the, uh, you know, to be able to, to be able to time things and pace things out and make sure everybody was rolling and set up and ready to go. And, you know, we screwed up a couple shots, <laughs> um, but we were able to, to, to work around that. So no, I, think the, it, uh, I think it worked pretty well. No, I, I think it did too. And I, I remember even on the individual tournament too, they, I, I remember, and I just, I had no, I got such an appreciation for the amount of coordination. So it was great that like yeah. we were just on these, all, you know, these mics. So all the, you know, um, basically I had a, 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 you know, headset and then all the, um, Rob and, and, and Bo and, and, and Sean was the other guy, right. 
um, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, all, all had as well as the, uh, the, the PA. Um, I forget what her name was, but uh, all sort of, you know, coordinating on this stuff. But it was interesting because it was like, um, we were all sort of in sync, but then like Al didn't have one. So all of a sudden it was like, He's like the first like flingshot on like the first hole of the tournament. It's like, it's like, well, you can't just, you can't just start like we, cause we, we had to have someone, you know, we, we actually had someone do like a ceremonial first fling on those holes really so that everybody could sort of calibrate the cameras and which I thought was, I worked well, but then it was like, that's great. But like, that doesn't mean you can then start the next shot, like three seconds later. <laughs> <laughs> so like the first shot out of the gate, I'm like, Okay, well, we missed that shot, or at least we we didn't. Uh, yeah, you know, like Rob wasn't even ready for it, so that it was like. But we, I was yeah. like two hundred and fifty yards down, you know, downfield, <laughs> and all of a sudden a golf ball bounces by me, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, I'm not even rolling. What happened?" Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So if you uh, if you see that first hole again, it's, it was one of those things like that was a hole where we didn't we didn't have a ton to pick from. Whereas then by the time we got to the end of the hole, it was like. We were in totally in sync, and then we had we had mm-hmm. every angle, and but the same thing happened then on like longest fling shot, where like there was there, there, it was such a long distance that there wasn't this coordination, mm-hmm. and then finally it was like we got into the system where and like Steve like was was fantastic because I I sort of he had then a headset, so I basically said to Steve like I've got mm-hmm. all the you know camera people, and until we hear they're ready to go. Um, I'm not going to give you, Steve, like the green light. And like, if you don't, until I give you the green light, like don't even let anyone go. And Mm -hmm. there was that, uh, there was that one time, like, I I think it was, uh, it was Big Cat. And we actually put it in the segment because it was actually sort of funny that he had this sort of like false start. And, but it was, it was actually great because it was like, that was like before we'd gotten our cadence down, but it was like, it actually was so well done that like his, his reaction, it was sort of like, Okay, we're totally going to use that because it's actually, you know, that's the thing about a long swing shot is like it can get a little repetitive. So you got to have stuff right, in there to spice right. it up. Mix it up. Mm-hmm. And, and that was like also the stuff like um, the stuff that was going on actually at the, um, at the tee box on that. Like, unfortunately, Rob and I were both out in the field, but like what was going on in the tee box was, was, was fantastic. And that was so helpful to the segment because it was a way to sort of, mix things up, really set it up that the vibe is a little different. And this is, this isn't, you know, this isn't even like a, you know, an individual tournament. This is like, this is where you're having fun. And, you know, Austin's shenanigans were, were phenomenal. And, you know, everybody else, you know, TJ was great. The, the whirling, uh, the yeah. whirling dervish. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. uh, so I just great, great footage. And like, we've got, you know, we've got a bunch of other stuff we couldn't even include in there that, uh, but the uh, we'll, we'll eventually have to do a uh, the, the the longer cut the, uh, the director's cut right <laughs> director's cut exactly. <laughs> exactly you know when I was <clears throat> when I was editing this thing <clears throat> it quickly became apparent on the longest fling segment that um, you know there were these characters that were interacting on the tee in the tee box and as I was going through the footage I was like oh man thank you Bo because Bo was the drone pilot. Mm-hmm. And realized that he really couldn't maximize, you know, the, the drone stuff there was like, it was just, it, it wasn't the most important element of that particular segment. And he picked up his other camera. He had another camera with him and he picked it up and started shooting that stuff in the tee box and just mm-hmm. put the drone down. 
And, you know, that's the kind of thing where I didn't tell him to do that. I was all the way down at the other end of the, uh, of yeah, the fairway. Yeah. And he just did that. And, um, you know, the people like that are so valuable in your life who, <laughs> who don't have to have instruction. They go, you know what, I'll get more out of this other camera. Let's put that down. I know he's going to want this. Yeah. And, um, that's why, you know, he's so valuable to me and I hire him all the time to do stuff for me. <laughs> um, and one, one other thing I was going to mention, John, is that, um, you know, the, uh, when you talk about doing the, uh, the commentary, you know, I didn't quite know what to expect. Um, <laughs> even if you look at the script or what, what you had written out, it didn't, it, it, it didn't come across the same way as it did when you delivered the lines. Mm. And it had this element of humor that, um, that I think really like brought a, a whole other dimension to it. You know, it, if you're sitting there and it's paced like a regular golf tournament, you know, you can, I think it would have been a little more dry and a little more bland mm -hmm. and a little more plain, mm -hmm. but because of the pace of this thing where it's like shot after shot after shot, it's like rapid fire. And it's, it's great for people who have short attention spans because man, that thing was, I mean, the show was flying by. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's just shot after shot. And I'm sitting there going, man, I can't imagine how these guys are doing this, you know, back at home trying to like talk and get, and get their timing down while they're watching this thing go by. Um, but you did a great job and we had to massage a couple of things and I was like, yep. you know, don't worry about it. If it, if the call's a little late, we'll just, we'll just slide that a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. we can, we can like massage it. Uh, and I thought you did a fantastic job, but it, in the end, and I watched it yesterday and every time I watch it, I get this same sense. Um, there was a show on the versus network called most extreme elimination challenge, mm -hmm. which was a Japanese sort of physical <laughs> game show. I don't know if you guys have seen this. No, I got to check that out. Seen clips. It was all in Japanese <laughs> and they had these <laughs> flamboyant hosts. Uh -huh. And so the American version of it is all voiceover stuff um and and they made the the uh the, the announcers are vic romano and kenny blankenship and it's these two japanese guys with like kimonos on and stuff <laughs> and the show has this element of humor because of the overdubbed voices uh -huh. and how they how these guys bounce off each other and it's one of my favorite all-time like shows that's ever been on television <laughs> Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, MXC. It was on the Versus Network. Oh, I got it. I'm right yeah. And every time I hear yeah. you guys, like when you started to sing and, and you know, <laughs> and got cut off, I'm like, that is exactly what Kenny Blankenship and Vic do. Romano would, that's how they would interact. And I just, I, I love it. So it was so good. Awesome. Yeah, so no, good. It, was, it was one of those things on like, we, we had to think about that. We're, we were, you know, our inspiration was definitely, because of the Ocho, it was definitely Doc so, um, you know, cotton and, uh, and pepper. And we were sort of like, okay, we don't, we can't go too over the top. Um, so we have to sort of dial it back a little bit because if it's too over the top, then you're going to, we don't want people to think this is a joke. And because it's not, you know, it, it's, right. it's very serious to people that are, that are playing. But at the same time, like, we are, we are casual and we are a fun group and that has to come across. So it was like, how do we, you know, you know, sort of, you know, be right, not, not in the center. Like we still want to be more on the having fun with the commentators, 
And, but at the same time, at least the commentators are sort of taking it serious. And, but at the same time, not, you know, wanting to interject stuff. And there was, we, we had, you know, a ton more that we want to interject. We just, we couldn't, cause it was mm-hmm. just going to get in the way of, of the video sort of, you know, flying by. But, but that was why I'm like, and this is like, you know, new swim classic, like trivia, like, so because of dodgeball, there's like, there's four like direct references to dodgeball in the, in the video. So, you know, listen, listeners home, see if you can, uh, <laughs> if you can spot them all. You know, some are, some are totally obvious. Other ones yeah. are uh, a little more, a uh, little more subtle, but uh, we, we definitely had fun doing that. And I think, you know, coming up with the, uh, the personas as well. And the, you know, the, 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 the Kevin Hurley and the, the Oates Noonan, which, uh, um, and they, uh, they've continued, uh, yeah, no, to the point yeah. that John, you, you didn't have a Facebook account. Yeah. So that's so the sort of you set origin. one up. Yeah. So that's the or, origin story is just never been a social media guy. Never, never had a yeah. social media account, but because of the advertising we do on Facebook and Instagram, like you had to have an account to oversee and operate some of that stuff. So Steve was like, I'm just going to, you know, I'll just come up with a Facebook account for you. So he made this uh, um, account and Hurley is sort of what we refer to is like our, the mascot of the, the you know, playing off guy um, in, our, in our logo. And so we've always just sort of called him Hurley and mm-hmm. that's the Hurley logo. So we just came up, I don't know where we came up with Kevin from, but it was like so Kevin Hurley was, was <laughs> the Facebook account. And it was just funny because so the funny thing was, is that Facebook would reach out to us um, for like consulting on our ad accounts and things like that. But like uh-huh. Kevin Hurley, because he was the name on the Facebook account, they would call our offices looking for Kevin Hurley. So we just started having fun with it. It was almost like we just, we sort of created this, this mythical person. And then like I started taking calls as Kevin Hurley. And I remember one time that I had a, uh, we had like an intern in the office. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring you in on this call too. So now we're going to have, actually John Prulich is going to be on the call, Kevin Hurley. But then we get, we have this intern as well. So they'll hear another voice and they won't be able to tell that John Prulich and Kevin Hurley are the same thing. And, I, and it was, mm-hmm. there's, they wouldn't have cared anyway, obviously, but right, it was just, right. it was fun sort of bringing this guy to life. So then when we had to come up with, <laughs> you know, I'm like, ah, yeah, I could have totally done, you know, John Prulich is the fling off announcer, but I'm like, mm-hmm. we got to run with Kevin Hurley on this. Like he's, he, you know, Facebook already thinks he's somebody different. So now, now we're going to make him into a fling off, like a fledgling fling off announcer. And then it was like, so once I went to Kevin Hurley, then it was like, okay, Al, like we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a persona for you too. But the thing with, with, um, with Al was like, you're never going to be, so we sh- had shot the, the interviews and obviously the, the sort of intro, we had to shoot that the mm-hmm. day of. Um, we didn't know at that point it was going to be Kevin Hurley. We sort of figured that all out in, in uh, in post. In fact, I think I re-recorded stuff saying I'm Kevin Hurley um, because we, we hadn't even decided at that point. But then Al was always like, because we weren't sure when we shot it, if Al was going to be the, the, the second voice. But mm-hmm. um, we basically decided like Al's never going to be seen on camera. And, but he's going to be the sort of color commentator and he's going to be this like veteran fling off. And so like coming up with a name, which is a, sort of a funny story too, was uh, Al's uh, son, Theo, was working uh, um, in this local uh, um, sports retail store uh, where we live. And and I know the guys were just 
shooting the shit one day and they were they were, somehow they were talking about like religion and what like what what religion the families are and he was like well we're not we're not really religious but i i know you know so that you know i think like my grandparents or great grandparents were, were quakers and people were like quakers oh we're gonna start calling you oats so they started like <laughs> started calling them oats so i'm like oh that's perfect that is a perfect like first name for uh-huh, somebody. Uh-huh. and then and then Noonan we came up with, which is sort of a nod to, uh, to Caddyshack, which has always sort of been an, yeah. an inspiration for us, which is sort of the fun side of golf and, and you know, sort of poking fun at the latest name. So we're like, that's where like Oates Noonan came from. And once we'd done that, we're sort of off and running. We're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's why, like, you know, it's, it's always going to be, uh, you know, back to you, Oates. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Um, Rob, I really appreciate your time. We've been we've been recording almost uh, two hours, um, so I know you may have other th- things to do. Um, I, I've got another call I've got to get to as well. But uh, thank you so much for um, for joining. This has been so much fun. I like the uh, like the fling golf pro- project itself. This has been a labor of love. I I two hours went by like that. I didn't even notice and. Um, <laughs> I could go for another two hours, but I do have work to do too. So <laughs> yeah. Really appreciate, as well, yeah. yeah. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for a great conversation. It's a lot of fun. Hope people enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks again to Rob Parker for joining us on uh, today's episode. Uh, be sure to check out the episode details to find Rob's website, as well as a link to the podcast that he does. Um, I know uh, that was a, a really great interview. It was a lot of, uh, a lot of great insight. It was also a lot of time. So if you are here listening to this uh, outro, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for sticking through to it um, and for, uh, for listening in full to, uh, to the episode. Uh, again, uh, San Diego opens right around the corner. Uh, I'll be there. Uh, I hope that you will be too. Um, look for new episodes to drop on Tuesdays going forward. This one dropped on a Thursday, um, but we'll continue in season two with uh, Tuesday drops. Uh, also on Fridays, tune into YouTube, uh, 7 a.m. Uh, there'll be episodes of The After Show with Showtime, Austin Ebersole, uh, and myself. Uh, and sometimes uh, we'll have some uh, some guests as well. So, um, so tune in uh, to watch that, listen to that um, on YouTube and, um, and yeah, uh, just really excited, uh, for, um, WLF, uh, 2023. Y'all have a great day. Happy flinging.